I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hi, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. We want to be the kind of place that encourages you, equips you, and then enlists you to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Boom. Um, and so one of the ways that we do that is we try to preach the Bible, and especially Jesus, uh, and to see how he'll challenge us to live a Christ-like life. Um, in that text that Jacoby just read, can I jump straight to it? Um, there's two real key phrases that sandwich that text that I think are for us tonight. If you notice in the beginning, it says, Jesus, full of the Spirit. Rewind. Last week, we, we talked about the baptism of Jesus. Does God really love you? The answer is yes, because of Jesus, I am his beloved child in whom he's well pleased. Father speaks identity, and identity manually takes you into obedience. I don't know why I just said manually. I just had no word, and that's what came out. So Father speaks identity into you, and out of your identity, you man, that's weird. Just go into obedience, okay? So that's what we're looking at. Now, here's what's interesting. After that awesome experience, that baptism, he's full of the Spirit, his Father spoke in identity, he is feeling it, right? Where does the Spirit take him? Straight out into the desert to be tempted and tested. What's that? Okay? So you got to watch out for that. I believe, now watch this, after we get through that whole text, which we're going to go through in just a second, what does it say about him after he comes out of the desert? Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Take a look at the boat. That's what I want. Does anybody need some power in the Holy Spirit in this room? Does anybody want to operate more in your identity and obedience? Does anybody want to pray and see things happen? Does anybody want to sit in the tension of the already and not yet? Does anybody want to be filled with an inexpressible desire for joy and experience of it until Christ returns? Does anybody want to see the kingdom of heaven manifest here on earth in you and through you by the way you live your life? If the answer is yes, I think the answer is in that text. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received the Spirit. You're full of them, right? The question is, are you operating in the power of the Spirit? And the only way to get there is through temptation and testing. So I want to teach us tonight about how to fight temptation so that we can come out on the other side and operate more fully in the power of the Holy Spirit. So quick story, and then I'll draw something on the board for you to help us remember this text. Sound good? Uh, by the way, has anybody bought stock in GameStop? <laughs> uh, any, like, seriously, anybody, any day traders in here I need to know about? Okay, well, this is kind of like that. Um, there's a guy named R.U. Darby, um, turn of the century, tells a story about his uncle, who, when the gold craze was going on out west, everybody was prospecting. Prospector, right? You remember that? So they, they all go out there. He goes out there, you know, finds a bunch of money, scrapes it together, buys a little patch of land to prospect on, and I assume gets the proverbial axe and shovel and grows out a beard and goes to work. So he's working hard, he's sweating, he's going, he's going, he's going, he's going, and about two weeks in, sure enough, he strikes gold. Like he hits it, he pulls it out, he's like, I think this is gold. He takes it to the smelter, the smelter says, oh yeah, that's good, bring me some more of that stuff. So immediately he covers up the entrance to where he's dug his beginning of a mine, and he heads back to Maryland where he's from, and he realizes if we're going to pull all this stuff out of the ground, I'm going to need help and money. So he gets all his friends and family together, tells them what the deal is, said high, high risk, high adventure, high reward. 
Um, so a bunch of his family members go in, they pull all their money together, they get on a train, they go out to Colorado, they buy all the mechanical equipment they're going to need to start hauling that stuff out of the ground and transporting it. Um, and so drills go down, hopes go up, and out comes like a first cartload of gold. Like they're, uh, all right, this is it. They send it off to the smelter. They do some quick calculations. They realize maybe two more carts of that, and we've paid off all of our debts and our initial investments, and then it's nothing but sheer profits. Make it rain. All right. They start doing that. They're filling up the second bucket or cart or whatever you want to call it, about a fourth of the way to it, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Dirt. Rocks. More dirt. More rocks. Days turn into weeks, and a week is starting to go into a month when the more they dig down, there's nothing. Dirt and rocks. Eventually, the doubt and despair gets too high. They realize they're now actively going into debt. Not only have they not made any money, they've just lost. And so they make the painful decision to stop digging and call it a bust. His uncle calls in, the junkyard guy, liquidates all of his um, machinery for like pennies on the dollar and says, do you want this land? There's nothing left here. He's like, sure, I'll take it. So the junkyard guy, before he leaves, is pretty smart in this sense that he takes a couple of the dollars that that guy just paid him and brings in a geologist and says, hey, will you go down on that mine and see what's up? They, they said they hit gold for a while, but then they lost it. Uh, the geologist comes back up and says, uh, I've got good news for you, sir. He's like, what's that? Three feet below where they stopped digging is probably the biggest deposit of gold I've ever seen in Cal or Colorado history. And he said, well, I don't know how that's possible. He says, they just weren't familiar with the principle of fault lines. He says, well, what do you mean? He says, you know, when the earth's crust is shifting, a lot of times some of that gold, it leaks up into the fault line where it was shifting. But what they don't realize is Right underneath that, if you have the patience and the time and the tenacity to dig, you'll find the real deposit. The reason I tell you that story is because I want you to take a look at your favorite sin and the most consistent temptations that you always succumb to and realize that's your fault line. And you don't need to avoid it. You don't need to hide it. You need to dig straight through it down into the original deposit that God has put in your heart, the good works he's created for you in advance to do, how he has wired you with identity and purpose, and realize the reason that's your favorite sin and temptation is because Satan has spent his entire life sabotaging it and feeding you a lie so that you won't dig down deep enough to discover your true identity and purpose in this life. And when you do, you will be unstoppable. Because you no longer sink back in guilt and sin and shame and secrecy when you come up to that. No, just like my buddy Cameron was pointing out beforehand, when Satan tempts you or asks you a question, you got an answer. That's not who I am. I'm someone who waits on the Lord and believes that he has good things for me. And I will not satisfy it or short circuit outside of God's will. I know that there is God's glorious riches of deposit of energy and life and purpose and passion waiting for me in the kingdom of God. That's what I want us to do. You ready to dig down? 
Okay, so take a look at that text. Jesus is tempted three ways, which is a legitimate temptation. Like I used to read this and I used to say, oh, it's Jesus. He's not really tempted. Well, that would contradict scripture. Fully God, fully man. And uh, scripture often calls Jesus the new Adam. And Hebrews will tell us we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Why? Because he was tempted in every way we've been tempted and yet remained holy, pure, sinless, and blameless. So Satan comes up. Oh, wrong marker again. Satan comes up to Jesus. He's fasting. He's hungry. He's in solitude. Uh, And by the way, uh, Jacoby was reminding me of this. Hey, fasting just reveals what controls you. All right, we'll leave that one there. (laughs) Hey, Jesus. That's not how Satan sounds. I don't know. You tell me. I haven't talked to him lately. Hey, Jesus, uh, turn, turn these stones into bread, right? He goes straight for his most apparent need in the flesh, right? He's hungry. God given appetite. This, is, by the way, is the guy is literally the bread of life. And he's got superpowers, right? He can do that, no problem. Why shouldn't he do it? Oh, he's just actually, the Spirit told him, no, you're going to go be tested. And he's waiting on God to meet his desires rather than himself. So yet, he, he tempts him with his appetite. And the reason I'm giving you these three categories is because I believe this is the core of what it means to be human, is to have these desires and to be tempted in them to satisfy them outside of God's will. So let's decode all of it and realize it probably all boils down to this. The next one, Satan comes up and he says, hey, Jesus, all the kingdom in the world are mine because now this world is broken and Adam screwed up. I've got some authority and power. And I know that probably your mission from your father is to come down and establish the kingdom of God here on earth. And maybe I know or maybe I don't know that one day your goal is every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow down before you and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and King. Great, I'm going to help you do that. I'll give them to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. What's he offering them? He's offering him the win without the sacrifice. Do it without the cross. That wasn't the Father's plan, was it? So what's he tempting him with here? His ambition. I'm going to get it done. Then last but not least, he takes him up onto the temple, and he shows him everybody down here, and he says, hey, check this out. Jump down, and the angels will save you, right? Because if you are the Son of God, anytime Satan tempts you, it's not about your behavior. It's an attack on your identity. So he tempts him and says, jump down. What would happen? In the temple, right? The epicenter of worship in Jerusalem, theoretically where the children of Israel believe the the hand of God touched earth in the Holy of Holies. You right there, just jump off and they'll see all the angels come and rescue you and then they'll know that you're really the son of God. You'll have widespread approval. You don't have to go through all this being rejected by the leaders and the people and misunderstand and ultimately that weird crucifixion thing. Who wants that? Make a spectacle and everybody will approve of you. He says, don't test the Lord, my God. So what's he tempting him here with? His approval. Does God really love you? Are you really the son of God? Appetite, ambition, and approval. And chances are, you and I, based off our stories, based off our giftedness, based off our weaknesses, based off our trauma, based off of our life, you are more prone to one of these than the other. That there is a lie or a temptation that, just think about this for a second. If you were Satan and all you had to go on 
was your behavior. What's observable? Your bank account, how you spend your time, what you do online. Where would Satan tempt you? How would he take you out? It should be pretty obvious, right? It's not rocket science. It's just going, oh, yeah, that's where. Uh, I, I know that I am particularly susceptible to this temptation. So let's acknowledge it, let's name it, and let's move forward and be tested and tempted through it so that we can operate in the power of the Spirit and find our true identity and satisfaction in God. So if yours is appetite, the core lie, that's why I'm abbreviating CL, will always, that will always get you in a weird sort of way is I will never have enough. The core emotion that usually surrounds this is fear. And it is all about the two predominant issues of being needy and being satisfied. Appetite can take its look in a bunch of different ways but you have a compulsive desire to satisfy your appetites. And the worst thing about it is the more you lean into that, the less satisfied you actually are. More, 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 more. In our society, this presents itself as consumerism. Somewhere... In your past, you were incredibly needy. And probably someone took advantage of that and exploited it. And the lie seeped into your brain from Satan. You will never have enough if you wait on God. You take care of your needs. He's not good, and he doesn't have an abundance to offer you. But you need to have an answer. That when Satan tempts you with your appetite... You can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Man, I don't live by bread alone. I live from every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm actually willing to, be look, to go through needs so that I can be deeply satisfied in you, Lord. Ambition. If ambition is yours, um, usually the core lie that you're most susceptible to is, I will never accomplish enough. Can I get an amen from all the athletes in the room? Your core emotion is guilt, that you're not doing enough. Can I get an amen from all the moms in the room? And the two biggest issues around ambition are weakness and strength. This represents in our society collectively with an unhealthy fascination with competition and winners. It was Troy Aikman after the Super Bowl um, who got in the locker room and said, is that all this is? Not enough trophies. Not enough accomplishments. Somewhere in your past, you were weak and someone exploited it and a lie crept in that says, I can never be weak again. I will not be taken advantage of. And in fact, I'll be stronger, better, faster, quicker, smarter, prettier than anybody in the room. Win, 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 
And if you don't, you have no value. But what if it's possible to have an answer for Satan when he tempts you with that? What if it's possible to say, no, no, thank you. I'm going to fix my eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter, a.k.a. the finisher, a.k.a. the accomplisher of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame. I don't feel guilty about that. I can be weak. And you know what? Matter of fact, I'm going to start embracing that junk. Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Okay. Well, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. How about that? I'm going to lead with that and discover that there is a spiritual strength and authority that only comes when I'm operating out of my weakness. That's if you've got ambition. Approval, your core lie. I will never be enough. And that lie produces profound shame. You feel tragically flawed or that something's missing from you. And the core needs around here are about rejection and acceptance. Now, all of us have experienced this, right? We've been needy, we've been weak, we've been rejected. But when it comes to your core lie or your core temptation or your fault line, for some reason... It just digs deeper. So somewhere in your past, you were rejected or you didn't have enough acceptance and you began to believe the lie that I'm not enough and so you're going to work real hard for approval. You're going to make sure everyone sees and affirms you. You're going to be people-pleasing. The affirmation of people will mean way too much to you and the rejection of people will also mean way too much to you. In our culture, this manifests itself in celebrity. Our obsession with finely edited, Photoshop, manicured perceptions of a perfect life. And it's never enough. Side note, uh, Jib Fowles was a guy who studied celebrities four times as likely um, to kill themselves as normal adults. Why? They cannot bear the weight of fame and adoration and the constant need for approval. Their lifespan, stereotypically, celebrities is 15 years less than the average American. So as you look and try to find yours, here's one of the things that uh, you need to realize. Like, no one really likes to be weak or needy or rejected, but what's the one that, yeah, I can deal with that, but I am, no, ah, Like all of a sudden, like when you hit weakness or rejection or needy, it just triggers a default response. Chances are that's your core area of struggle. Now, you ready for the bad news? Let me get another. How am I doing on time? I'm going to make this snappy. What do they need to hear, Lord? The bad news is if appetite's yours. If you want to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to whip you into the wildness of the wilderness and the darkness of the desert. And he will, as a gift and a grace and as a mercy, not as a punishment, will give you the gift of being needy and letting your needs go unsatisfied. And that's when the lie becomes the truth in the desert. And you cry out to God, I 
will never have enough. And he says, exactly. I will be more than enough for you. If yours is weakness, he's going to drive you into the wildness of the wilderness and the darkness of the desert, and he's going to break your leg, and he's going to let you be weak, and he's going to take away your strength that you've always trusted in for your identity and get things accomplished. And in the desert, the lie is going to become the truth. I'll never accomplish enough. You're right, son. You're right, daughter. You will not. I already did that. Now, in your weakness, will you let me be strong? That if yours is approval, get ready for it. He's going to whip you into the wild of the wilderness. He's going to whip you into the darkness of the desert. And the lie is going to become a truth. You're right, son or daughter. You're not enough. I am. In your rejection, will my acceptance of you mean more than other people's rejection of you? Now, here's the great news of the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? You need to take all that stuff to the cross. And how's my buddy Dave? I borrowed this from Dave Rhodes and Mike Breen, so I'm really grateful for them. Here's how he puts it, that I love it. What Jesus resisted personally in the desert determined the power in which he lived. Now, what Jesus defeated permanently on the cross determines the power in which we live. You ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ? So on the cross, Jesus Christ is rejected. He came to that which was his own and his own didn't even receive him. And when he is rejected, he gives us God's acceptance. At the cross, Jesus is weak. You don't get any weaker than dying. And he, in his weakness, allows us to be made strong. And he's needy on the cross. He's thirsty. And even his thirst can't even go satisfied. But because of Jesus, Jesus was needy so that I can become satisfied in him, the living water and the living bread. So the question I have for you this week is find out where your primary fault line is, your core temptation. What is at the root of your favorite sin? And then if you are courageous enough, ask the Lord to test you because you want to live and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.